Today's scripture reading is from Matthew 7, verses 1 through 6. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. This is the word of the Lord. Praise, Praise be to Christ. Be to Christ. So I thought I would ask some of uh, the children uh, at Christ Pres to help me interpret this passage as I got ready for uh, the message, and uh, they actually uh, did some art, uh, and uh, I'd like to just, just go through some of the insights that, that the children have offered to us. And if you can't see the words, uh, you know, basically, uh, how, do you, uh, how do you interpret why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye but not notice the log that's in your own eye? And the first one, uh, the caption is simply, you're doing that wrong. Okay, so the second one, uh, no running, and that looks like a, a picture of the devil with a couple of hot dogs coming out of his eyes. Uh, the third one speaks for itself with a nice uh, royal blue log uh, in the eye of the critic. Uh, the fourth one, one of my personal favorites, uh, burritos. Uh, so, not sure what that means, but... Uh, Burritos is the criticism. Uh, and, and one more, uh, poofy hair looks better on me. So, okay, so let's pray. <laughs> Father in heaven, thank you for uh, enabling us to see your kingdom a little bit through the eyes of children. Uh, help me, Father, to uh, navigate this passage that you've given me the privilege to, to share my thoughts on this morning. Uh, May, may my words uh, and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're on, uh, still on our uh, series or in our series on the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, this is uh, message number 26, I think. Uh, and um, <clears throat> this particular passage, for modern people, it, it's probably easy to have a love-hate relationship with this passage because on the one hand, modern people, we're going to love what it says in verses 1 through 5. Don't judge. Don't judge other people. We love that as modern people. Live and let live. Your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. My life is my life. Your life is yours. And so the, uh, the front man for uh, the, uh, the, the 60s and 70s band, The Doors, Jim Morrison, uh, gave this vision for friendship. And he said that a true friend is someone who lets you have total freedom to be yourself. Whatever you happen to be feeling at the moment is fine with them. That's what real love amounts to, letting a person be what he really is. And so... With that definition, we as modern people, like Jim Morrison perhaps, love to hear things from Jesus like, don't judge other people. But then in verse 6, Jesus calls some people pigs and dogs. 
You go to chapter 23 of Matthew, and, and, and he's speaking specifically to scribes and Pharisees, and he's calling them names, hypocrites, sons of the devil, whitewashed tombs, and then there's another animal reference, uh, you brood of vipers, and then there's this other place where he refers to King Herod as a fox. So the message here from Jesus is, number one, never judge people, and number two, some people are animals and vipers and dogs and pigs. Is Jesus speaking out of both sides of his mouth? Uh, how do we reconcile these two things? Don't judge, and yet some people are dogs and pigs. So there are three headings I want to try to unpack this uh, beneath. One is to know your audience, and the second is to know your place, and then the final one is to help a brother out. So, um, so know your audience. There's a context. Remember, the, all of this teaching in the Sermon on the Mount is, is, is given within the broader context of Jesus' teaching in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And the, 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 the key theme, the dominant theme, uh, and the overarching theme of the Sermon on the Mount, as well as all of Jesus' teaching, is the kingdom of God. It's the thing that He talked about the most, the kingdom of God. And so, what He's getting at here when He talks about throwing your pearls before animals, you know, He's speaking uh, with, with imagery here in metaphor. And basically what he is saying is that with regard to the kingdom of God, some people will look at the kingdom of God and see a treasure. They will see a pearl worth giving up everything in order to have. And then others will look at the kingdom of God and the things of the kingdom and not be impressed at all because there's no capacity, there's no you know, inner nature or disposition to attract that person to the kingdom of God. Something has to stir in the heart first. You know, light bulbs have to go on in order for the kingdom of God to be perceived as beautiful and to be perceived as a treasure. And so, you know, when, when, when Jesus says, you know, don't throw the pearls to the pigs and, the, and, and, and to the dogs, there are really two ways that we could potentially interpret that. You know, the first is, you know, these were unclean animals, you know, in the, in the Jewish mindset, and so, um, so we can read this as an insult. Jesus is saying that certain people are the scum of the earth. He's calling them pigs. He's calling them dogs. And in reality, though, that, that's not really possible as a legitimate interpretation of what Jesus is getting at here because of the context. Remember, context interprets text. The clear interprets that which is less clear, and the whole context of this teaching is do not judge. Do not have the kind of disposition that seeks to punish people, that seeks to bust them, that seeks to put them in their place, that, that is filled with contempt instead of compassion. You know, the hearts of my people, Jesus says, throughout His teaching is to be generous and kind, especially to those who don't have a capacity to see or perceive the kingdom. So, the second remaining option of, 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 of what Jesus might be getting at here, and I think this is the solid interpretation, is that He is providing a description through the use of metaphor of what human nature is like without the internal operative work of the Holy Spirit. We function more out of native instinct as animals do 
We, we, we function in a less human way when the Spirit is not operating in our hearts. We have different appetites, in other words, than, 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 than a Spirit-driven person would. So, he's talking about human nature without the Holy Spirit, and he's saying don't throw pearls, uh, you know, before those who aren't going to have any perception of the value of the pearl because you're going to choke them. You're, you're going to… it's going to backfire on you. You know, you, 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 you don't, you know, dump the law on people when they don't have any regard for the law or the lawgiver yet. Your job until that time is to demonstrate how, how much of a treasure the lawgiver and the law is through the way that you live your life around them. And so, so basically, he's saying this, put a corn husk and a pearl in front of a pig and, and, and say to the pig, choose one. The pig will choose the corn husk every single time. You know, you put a, um, you, you put a pearl and a, a leftover hot dog in front of a dog and say, choose one, the dog will choose the hot dog every single time. And so, it's, it's with these things in mind that Jesus says, don't give to dogs what's holy. Don't throw pearls before swine because it will get trampled on. You know, maybe put it this way. Say that you had a couple of dinner guests over and and, and somebody gifted you on your last birthday or Christmas or, you know, celebration at the office, somebody gifted you with a $150 bottle of wine. It's like the best, you know, wine that you've ever had, and somebody got wind that you like this, you know, wine, but you would never spend your own hard-earned money on it. Um, it seems wasteful and frivolous, but somebody else buys it for you, puts it in front of you, happy birthday. And so you invite some friends over, and you open it up because you're so excited to share it, and, 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 you know, you pour uh, your glass, and you start pouring their glass, and, uh, you know, you start talking about, you know, the history of this particular kind of wine and, and what the experts are saying about it and how, you know, it just does magic things to, to you know, the, the, the palate. And, and then one of your guests says, well, I'm not really a wine person, but I guess I'll give it a try. You know, you're just thinking, I just poured, you know, $45 worth of nectar in, 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 into this cup that the, or into this glass that this person isn't even going to appreciate. In fact, they might not even like it. This is what he's saying. You know, the point from Jesus here is, as a dog and a pig have no appetite for a pearl, there are going to be people that you encounter who have no appetite for the kingdom of God. And you can't speak to them as if they were on board with the things that you value the most. You have to account for who your audience is. And, you know, Paul writes about this in 1 Corinthians 5. You know, in Corinth, you know, a lot like sort of the, the modern West, um, you know, there was this sort of prevailing uh, philosophy of, of complete sexual freedom, complete sexual you know, complete freedom to experiment sexually, for instance, and it was, it was a very um, sexually charged culture. And, and, and Paul says, the person in your midst who calls himself a brother in Christ, who is uh, in relationship with his stepmother, drop the hammer on that, because it, you, you need to rescue 
his soul. And, and, and you need to recover and restore health and, and that which is life-giving and that which is a treasure, that which is a pearl in this brother's life. But he says, I'm not at all saying that, that, that this is how you should interact with people outside of the church, out in the world who, who have a different understanding of sexuality, for example. He says, don't judge, befriend. You know, because you're coming from a whole different place. You know, your job with somebody who does not perceive the kingdom is to help them see the beauty of Jesus. You know, you will never persuade somebody to come to Jesus through the law, but you will potentially persuade all kinds of people to come to see the beauty and the treasure and the value of the law through Jesus. First things first, he's saying. You know, there's a parable that Jesus offers later on in the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 13, where he says, the kingdom of God is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. He went and sold all of his corn husks, the entire cornfield, in order to have this pearl. But the pig is not going to understand that. The pig is going to say, what are you doing getting rid of all that corn in order to have a pearl? And then you show the pearl to the pig, and the pig says to you, I'm after one thing. All I want to do is fill my belly. That is my one thing. And so, you want to talk to me about this pearl? Okay then, can the pearl get me more corn? Can the pearl help me get bigger? Because that's, my, that's the chief end of a pig, is to get bigger and bigger and bigger. So, can the, can the pearl help me get bigger? And he's talking about spiritual realities here. And so, the human expression of, of, of what Jesus is referring to as sort of this animal appetite is this, looking at things like the holiness of God, the Ten Commandments, the Sermon on the Mount, the cross of Jesus Christ, the promises of eternal life, the family of the local church, the bread and the cup, and thinking, eh, so what? Boring. And then somebody tries to show you the value of all these things, and, and, and you say, well, okay then. Can it help me get more full? Can it help me get to what I really want? Spiritual realities. You know, what we're talking about here is people who are disinterested in Jesus and the things of Jesus because their affections are firmly fixed elsewhere. What about Jesus? Can He get me more corn? So, there's this song, one of my favorite um, you know, music bands is the Indigo Girls. That's been the case ever since I was in college. And they've got this one song um, that I think tells the whole story of what Jesus is getting at here. It's really heartbreaking. It's a song called Hey Jesus, and it's essentially a prayer, the artist, the songwriter's prayer to Jesus. And, and I, I'm just going to read, I'm not going to sing, but I will read the lyrics to you. So, she's had her heart broken. And so she goes to Jesus in desperation because her heart is broken. Hey, Jesus, it's me. 
I don't usually talk to you, but my baby's going to leave me, and there's something you must do. I'm not your faithful servant. I hang around sometimes with a bunch of your black sheep. But if you make my baby stay, I'll make it up to you, and that's a promise I will keep. And then her lover leaves her, and so she comes back to Jesus after that and says, hey, Jesus, it's me. I'm the one that talked to you yesterday. I asked you, please, please, for a favor, but my baby's gone away, went away anyway. And I don't really think it's fair. You've got the power to make us all believe in you. And when we call you in our despair, you don't come through. So here, Jesus is the pearl, but, but is, is not seen as a treasure, but rather as a means to an end. And, 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 and I no longer have use for the pearl because the pearl is not getting me what I really want. It could be a lover. It could be a romance. It could be friends. It could be a good job. It could be better health. It could be a comfortable life that we're really after. And if Jesus doesn't deliver those things, if He doesn't deliver our expectations forget about it. What use is Jesus if He can't give me corn? What use is Jesus if He can't make me bigger than I am? Jesus as a means to an end. What what Jesus is saying is, don't force the issue. Don't try to cram a pearl down the throat of someone who has no appetite for it. You've got to be more nuanced and wise and thoughtful and sensitive and patient and less controlling than that. So, know your audience, but also know your place. You know, verses 3 and 4, Jesus gives us the starting point. Whenever we're assessing somebody else, He gives us a starting point. First, look at the log in your own eye. Interesting, you know, Jesus the carpenter, maybe he's using some carpenter humor here. He's always connecting his teachings sort of to the everyday experience of, of, of the people. But it's important to understand that Jesus is not saying, when he says don't judge, he, he is by no means saying never correct anybody ever. You know, take Jim Morrison, for example, who, you know, I quoted a minute ago, who said, a true friend is someone who lets you have the total freedom to be yourself. You know, Jim Morrison died tragically of a drug overdose. Perhaps if, if more people had intervened with respect to his self-destructive behaviors and patterns, and if you know his story, maybe you've read his biography, and, you know, called No One, um, you know, Gets Out of Here Alive, it's a tragic story of self-destruction. Perhaps because nobody ever cared enough to intervene. What Jesus is saying is, don't stand in judgment. Don't presume that you know everything that you think you know about what's going on in this person's life and about how God is writing this person's story. It is above your pay grade all the time to think that you can determine what that person's position is, either past, present, or future, before God. That is beyond your jurisdiction to decide. 
moralists, Pharisees, the scribe and Pharisee in us loves to divide and separate the world between the good people and the bad people. And what Jesus is saying is, don't you dare. You are not to divide the world between the good people and the bad people because that's my job. Your job is to separate the world between the proud and the humble and recognize that, that, that you are exhibit A with respect to the proud. Look at the log in your own eye first if you are disposed to judge and punish and feel superior to somebody else. You know, Miroslav Volf, in his you know, masterpiece uh, of a book called Exclusion and Embrace, highly recommend that one to you. Here's one of the most um, well-known excerpts from that, uh, from that work. Miroslav Volf says, forgiveness flounders because I exclude the enemy from the community of humans even as I exclude myself from the community of sinners. But no one can be in the presence of the God of the crucified Messiah for long without overcoming this double exclusion, without transposing the enemy from the sphere of the monstrous into the sphere of shared humanity and herself from the, fear, from the sphere of proud innocence into the sphere of common sinfulness. Only Jesus Christ is qualified to name somebody a pig, a dog, or a snake. Nobody else is qualified to give another person that name. Because only Jesus sees under the surface. Only Jesus knows what's going on truly and fully. And so, when we put ourselves in the place of Jesus by saying, here, let me, let me take that thing out of your eye. Let's deal with your issues. When we put ourselves in the place of Jesus, who alone is without fault and who alone is immune from critique, from legitimate critique, it means that we have bad vision. We're not able to see ourselves accurately, and we're not able to see the other person accurately. We can't see ourselves because we've got a log in our eye. It's another way of saying you are worse than you think you are. So humble yourself. Don't dare forget how the man after God's own heart, King David, prayed, which is precisely how all of us need to be praying. Psalm 19, Lord, forgive my hidden faults even. Forgive those faults in me. Forgive the ugliness in me that I can't even see. Or 2 Corinthians 4, where, where Paul the great apostle, you know, the, the one who wrote all of those masterpieces that, 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 that make up about a third of the New Testament, where he says in 2 Corinthians 4, I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. So, we have to, to, to start from the humble place of realizing we can't even begin to perceive how bad it really is with us that unaided by the Holy Spirit, uh, you know, what's, what was true in Genesis is true now, that every inclination of the thoughts of our heart are only evil all the time. And God, because He is so merciful, withholds the full understanding about ourselves from us because He knows how much it would overwhelm us. 
to see how dark it really is in here. Forget out there, in here. He gives us glimpses along the way. He, he calls us to incremental repentance. Because if He gave us the whole picture all at once, it, it would utterly destroy us. But the other thing about the log in the eye of this sort of smug, holier-than-thou posture is that we cannot actually see the person that we're trying to work with who, Jesus says, you know, when, when, when you look at your neighbor, as far as it depends on you, whatever their flaws might be, you need to regard that flaw as a little speck, a little bitty speck relative to the big fat log in your eye, a hundred denarii relative to the 10,000 talents that you owe to the king, you know, billions and billions versus three months' pay. See yourself accurately You know, be harder on yourself and be softer on your neighbor. That's the gospel disposition. Because we don't know what we don't know. You may be worse than you ever dreamed, and that person actually may be on a a much more positive, beautiful, life-giving trajectory than than you can even perceive. You know, I've I've talked about this before, like, you know, two people trying to get to Nashville, right? One's from New York City, and the other's from Chattanooga. And, and you, you look at your watch, and, and 10 hours pass, and the, the one from New York City uh, is, is now only five, well, let's say, let's say this. The one from New York City is only three hours away, and the one from Chattanooga is still two hours away, just like they were at the beginning. It still feels like the person from New York City is further from the kingdom of God, that is Nashville, Right? than the person in Chattanooga, because the, the, the person in Chattanooga is positionally closer. But in reality, the, the one from New York City has been moving at warp speed relative to the one who's been sitting on their butt in Chattanooga. I love Chattanooga, by the way. This is, this is just an illustration, right? There's nothing hidden beneath that. Um, which was what <laughs> compelled Jesus to say to the elders in the church and the pastors and the people who stood up in pulpits and, 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 and served the Passover meal, that, that prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God at a faster pace than you are, and the crooks and the pimps. They're, they're entering the kingdom of God faster than you, you who presume to remove the specks out of everybody else's eye as you ignore the log in your own. So really, the summary statement is this, always assume this posture, this is the only legitimate posture for somebody who's in the kingdom and who can see the kingdom. Tim McGraw, always stay humble and kind. Always stay humble and kind. It's the only legitimate posture for those who've been forgiven and slain by the mercy of God. And then you're ready, finally, to help a brother out, to remove the log from your eye, then positions you to remove the speck. Notice that Jesus does not say, don't try to remove the speck out of somebody else's eye. He says, after you've removed the log from yours, after you've gotten into the place of humility, after you've gotten into the place of recognizing that the gospel is the equalizer, that it gives me a level ground with a hooker, I'm at the same place before God as, as, as a prostitute, as a minister. When I'm at that point, then I can move toward 
the woman caught in the act of adultery and say, I don't condemn you. Now let's talk about ethics. Now let's talk about ethics. Have you ever had a speck in your eye? I mean, what parent, what parent would get any joy out of leaving a speck in their child's eye? Because a speck is going to irritate the child. The child will not be able to sleep. It will obstruct the child's vision. It will cause an infection, potentially. It may even make that child go blind. And so, what parent would not do everything they can to get the speck out of a child's eye? You know, and this is where Jim Morrison's vision for friendship is damaging. <clears throat> because he says, a true friend is someone who lets you have total freedom to be yourself. It really depends on what self you're talking about. Total freedom to be your animal self with appetites for things that are not pearls. Or to be your renewed, eventually glorified self. That's the freedom we want to give each other. And that's where Jim Morrison could be right if, if, if we approached his statement from that understanding, that I want to give you total freedom to, 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 to get on that trajectory, to become the very best, most beautiful, most life-giving, most forgiven, most redeemed, most grateful, most filled with the Holy Spirit version of you. And part of me helping you get there and part of you helping me get there is to take the specks out of each other's eyes, to help each other. In a spirit of gentleness, you know, we're receiving 70 new members today in our church, and one of the vows, you, you, may, have, you may have heard this when, when the new members were making their vows, is to submit myself to the government and discipline of the church. That's just a fancy way of saying, and if you've been through CPC 101, you know this, it's just a fancy way of saying, I need the church to help me love pearls more than I love corn. I need this community of people who are no better than me and no worse than me, but on the same journey as I am toward the same horizon, that when I am stepping out of line with the gospel, when I'm choosing a hot dog leftover or, or, or a husk of corn over the pearl of Christ, when I'm placing conditions on my worship, when I'm treating Jesus as a means to an end rather than the end in Himself that He is, I need you to gently help me with the specks in my eye. It's there in Galatians 6, if any of you is spiritual and, and somebody is caught in a pattern of transgression, you who are spiritual should restore that person gently. But also watch yourself, lest you too be tempted, it says. And this word restore, is, it's a medical term about, about resetting a broken bone. You, you do it gently, even though it's, it's bound to hurt when, when it snaps back in place. It's just part of the deal. Just like it's bound to hurt when you dig into somebody's eye to get the speck out of there or put saline solution to get the speck out of there. It, it, it's disruptive and irritating and uncomfortable, and yet it leads to healing and strength. So, yeah, remove the speck. You know, we, we, part of what, what Christian community looks like, gospel community looks like, is saying to one another, one another, will you please help me see the world and live my life less like an animal and more like a human? Will you help me be less driven by native appetites and more driven by the treasure that is Jesus Christ? Will you help me to be more drawn into healthy appetites? Will you help me choose pearls over corn husks? In her book, Hope Has Its Reasons, uh, Becky Pippert 
puts it this way about removing the speck. She says, we take pride, this is to the modernist in all of us, who just wants to say, live and let live. She says, we take pride in our tolerance of the excesses of others, but true love, real love detests what destroys the beloved. Real love stands against the deception, the lie, the sin that destroys. The more a father loves his son, the more he hates in him the drunkard, the liar, the traitor. Anger is not the opposite of love. Hate is the opposite of love, and the final form of hate is indifference. Just another way of saying what the Psalms and Proverbs say, faithful are the wounds of a brother. Let a brother strike me if he needs to. It would be a kindness if he does it with gentleness, with a view toward restoring rather than punishing. What's the backdrop of all this? The backdrop is this. There was a time when we were all dogs, every last one of us. One of the things that, that, that would have been disruptive about this term dog is the dog is a scavenger. The dog was known in those times even to, you know, if, if they stumbled across a dead human corpse, which, was, which happened more then in that culture than it doth, does in ours, the dog would actually feast on the human flesh and, and the human blood. It was like the, the zombies and the walking dead. And what it says in Ephesians 2 is that we were all scavengers. We were all dead in our transgressions and sins. We were all zombies just looking for the next pound of flesh to fill our bellies with. But God made us alive in Christ. By grace you have been saved through faith, and even this faith is not from yourself. It is a gift of God so that no one can boast. For God has made you into a poem created for good works that He's prepared in advance for you to do. What is the pearl? What is the true treasure? It's this love so amazing, so divine that demands our soul, our life, our all. We're on the cross. Jesus had His own flesh and His own blood devoured, where Jesus was treated like an animal. You remember where Jesus says on the cross, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's quoting the 22nd Psalm, which also says these words, Bulls surround me, roaring lions surround me. They open their mouths against me to tear their prey. Jesus became the prey so that animals could be restored to their humanity and to the image of God. And here's the twist of irony. At this table every single week, Jesus says, come eat my flesh and come drink my blood. It's our reminder that Jesus let Himself be treated like a corn husk or like a table scrap so that we, be, we could become less like animals and more like humans. Thanks be to God. We pray with me. Our Father in heaven, Even now in this room, uh, some of us are, are ready to leap out of our seats and say thank you, and others of us are ready to leap out of our seats and hightail it out of here as fast as we can. Because, Lord, 
the ability to see the kingdom of God, the ability to see treasures as treasures, rests on these words, but God made us alive. Father, make us alive. Animate our hearts so that our appetites will be for pearls and so that corn husks will be put in their proper place. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.